Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our generous sponsors, BetterHelp and RCAT.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Stacey Daru, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. I'm happy to finally be here. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. You and I connected back at the AIA conference, and we were finally here talking about taxes and the things that you are an expert in. So I want to introduce you. Let me introduce you. Stacy Drew is a business consultant with Engineered Tax Services. Stacy has over 20 years of experience working with businesses in operations, risk management, and development. She's active in the Urban Land Institute and is an instructor and facilitator with their Urban Plan Program educating students, community leaders, and developers about best practices in redevelopment projects. And Stacey joins us today. We're going to talk about taxes, right? Taxes are coming up. It's October. You should start thinking about those things. So we're going to start thinking about those things. More specifically, tax advantages for you as a small firm entrepreneur, architect, business owner, as well as your clients, right? So there's some tax advantages on both sides that we're going to jump into. But before we do that, Stacey, I want to know more about you. I'd love to understand where did you discover your passion for what you do, or maybe even who or what inspired you to get started? Yeah, Mark. So a little bit about me. I am originally from Wyoming. You know, I throw that out there because there aren't many of us. So it definitely kind of makes you the standout when you can say that. Born and raised there, went to the University of Wyoming, moved to Utah. I was there for about 22 years. And then I've been in just outside Nashville now for about two and a half years. So Career path has been a mix of industries. So I like to say my background is pretty eclectic. It's been throughout tech, staffing, insurance, 
and eventually landing myself in financial services. I was with a top 10 CPA firm. And, you know, I always caution people. I am on the client development side of the house. I do not do the technical work. (laughs) Yeah, a little disclaimer. I know just enough to get you to the subject matter expert, the the person who is smarter than myself to actually (laughs) complete the work for you. But it kind of combines everything. So, you know, there's so many elements within businesses and so many opportunities out there for a business to save money, to be able to find these unique opportunities to basically take a large couch and shake out the cushions and be able to put that money back into their business in other ways that it just gets the creativity going, which I realize taxes, creativity sounds like an oxymoron, but (laughs) if you dig down deep, it's there. (laughs) You're talking to a community of architects, right? Business owner architects. And so when they hear that taxes can be well, actually, that's not a good way to say it. Taxes should not be creative. Let's yeah. not go there. But using creativity in tax planning or tax advantages, right? getting those coins out of the couch, mm-hmm. I love it. And so I'm sure we have lots of listeners right now sort of paying attention. <laughs> okay. So where do you want to start? I mean, we're talking to thousands of small firm architect business owners, lots of very small firms and lots of sole practitioners. And they all have clients. And so they should be starting to prepare and think about taxes for next year and wrapping up this year. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that we should be focused on that we may not be? You saying that, that they should be planning for next year is really a great point that a lot of people miss out on. I think, you know, you come into whether it's any of the 15th deadlines, right? And there's multiples. Right. I think everybody's just so done with it. They want to stick their head in the sand and forget about it until they have to revisit it the next year, but starting to really sit down and have those strategic discussions now with their professional service advisors is important because there's a lot of planning that can go into place to set you ahead for for the upcoming year. With architects and engineers, there's some of the obvious that I think they hear about a lot, which would be like the R&D credits, some of the allocations around energy incentives, Depending on the size of their firms and what they're doing, they can take advantage of things like work opportunity tax credits as well. So there's a lot of ways for them to plan internally for their own business and how they can save some of those dollars and then inject those back into growing their business. And then there are also opportunities for them to have discussions with their clients as well and set them apart from their competition in showing their clients how certain elements or you know certain goals within a project can be more achievable if they were to bring some of these other opportunities and planning situations into play. That's great. Architects hear about this R&D tax credit all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm asked about it all the time. What is that? How does that work? Can we just focus on that for a little bit and sort of explain what that is, how that works? And I know that there's a bunch of planning and documentation that has to happen with that. And so understanding how that works now, so you can maybe look at that into the future, would be important. Can you share a little bit sort of 30,000 foot first so we understand what it is and then how it might apply to somebody who's a small firm architect? Sure. So research and development in the tax code, it's actually referred to as research and experimentation. And so ultimately what you have is a code that was put into place to encourage U.S. firms across a broad range of industries to be more innovative. We wanted to be 
competitive on the global front. So we want to stay ahead of other countries and what they're coming out with, whether it's technology, medicine, and anything technological in nature, essentially. And at its core, it really is a wage-based credit as well, although there are other costs and other items that can be included in the calculation. So with R&D, with architects, we're looking at anything that's unique in design. And when we say unique in design or presents a challenge, it doesn't necessarily have to be that they are coming up with something that's never been done before anywhere in the world, but it has to be unique to them. There has to be a challenge. There has to be something that they're overcoming and showing that there was an iterative process involved. So there has to be some level of, I'm not sure if I can achieve this. I'm going to have to hit it in a few different directions. And there's an opportunity for failure. So you have to have some skin in the game for it to be considered R&D. There's a four-part test. And so within the four-part test, one of the big things is, is it technological in nature? So physical or biological sciences, engineering, computer science, those all fall in within the technological in nature. And so that's where architects and engineers come into it, that physical science, and sometimes even maybe some computer science as well with what they're doing as far as modeling and testing on the back end. Yeah. And then once again, then that process of experimentation. So if they're building the exact same house over and over and over again on the same plot of land, that does not count as experimentation or having to figure something out. But if somebody comes to them with a raw piece of land and you know says, I want to build something no one's ever built here before, and I, I want it to be 100% off-grid and solar and water flowing backwards and <laughs> sideways, and they have to figure that out, then that's going to count for them. That's where it falls in. Yeah. Can you give me an example of maybe a project that would be in compliance to that? I think that's when it'll come up quite often these days, especially is a lot of those energy efficiency type of components that people are looking to achieve something out of the norm. You know, whether it's we want to be cleaning our own water on site and having this regenerative process. We want to have hydroponic plants. Something that you're doing that isn't just the normal cookie cutter where we're framing and throwing up siding. So anytime it's going to be unique and they're not 100% sure they can complete it. So it's going to take modeling. It's going to take some simulations. There's definitely trial and error involved. Right. And so that could be a construction method. It could be some sort of process that is going to happen in the building or in the project inside or outside of the building. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, process within the building. We always want to be careful when we say process because, you know, of a physical process improvement. So if it's just, you know... Right, if it's just steps to do it, that's not the... Yes, exactly. Right, got it. So it's internal process in terms of business systems or the flow of what you're doing. That's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking about an innovative concept that's being developed and researched and developed and experimented to figure out whether this is going to work or not, right? So you're working with a client to try to solve a problem Mm -hmm. that may have not been solved before or difficult to solve and you haven't solved it before and you're going to put energy and effort and funding into figuring this out. Funding is, you know, key there as well. Right. I've had clients in the past that they have government contracts and they're getting paid regardless of whether or not the project is successful. That doesn't count for R&D. You have to have something at risk for them to to say, yes, you qualify for this credit. And so that's a big component. You know, some of the other areas is when you're looking at R&D, like I said, a large component of that is wages. And so 
you had said something about documentation and planning, which right. I think sometimes people get a little concerned with that, or it's they see it as a barrier to moving forward with it. And I notice this a lot when yeah. clients come and they ask questions. And when we're asking them, you know, okay, give us an estimation of wages that have gone toward R and D in the past three years. So we can we have a three year look back period. Quite often they kind of freeze at that point. <laughs> right. Because it, well, I, I don't know that I haven't been keeping track of it. A firm like ours, what we do is come in and help them dig through that and actually parse those out. Got it. So, I mean, yes, in a perfect world, if you're just starting out, if you're brand new, getting, you know, starting your own firm, if you can keep track and keep really good, clean records of that, that is fantastic. And that's going to make your life much easier when you go to a firm like ours and say, Hey, I want to do R and D. Here's all my documentation. Yeah. It's not 100% necessary. Because we have enough experience with that to be able to go and lift all the layers, dig through that, and pick through what applies and what doesn't. Right. So if you're hearing about this and you want to do this in the future, start paying attention to your records. Make sure your records are clean and your categories are right and you understand what you need. Right. But if you think you have a project or some projects in the past that you think might comply with the rules and regulations of this R&D tax credit, it doesn't mean you can't do it if you haven't specifically been documenting right. for it right from the beginning. You can go back and with the helps of engineered tax services, you know, or another firm like them, right. to go back and figure out how to pull out that information from the documents you do have. Right. I really encourage people, don't try to figure that out for yourself either. Yeah. Not that they're not capable or don't understand, but there are so many situations I've walked into for R&D where what someone was doing, they never even mentioned or thought to mention it until we were there on site. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's not architecture, but it gives a very good example. I think I had a client, they were a cabinet manufacturer. So, you know, slightly. Yeah, related. Slightly related. They developed a software program to take all of their, they were very high-end, very custom cabinet makers delivered all around the world. So they had taken a software to streamline their ordering process for their clients. And so that we're thinking that's where the R&D is. And so go in, go to the R&D expert. We're sitting there going through all the software. There was some R&D there, but nothing huge. But, you know, something's better than nothing. As we're leaving, they wanted to show us their new samples, their new sample boards for the year because they were just very excited about it. <laughs> and they just wanted to brag. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, yeah. What we did. And so my R&D he starts asking and he's saying, okay, so how did you get this? Well, that, you know, I had to use sand and that didn't work. And then I used this to get that effect. And then I had to use this. I mean, he's just walking through all of those steps of trial and error to get to this perfect color, perfect finish that he had for this particular item. Yeah. And he said, this is where all your R&D is. This is it, these boards. This is your R&D. This is the win. Yeah. So it's worth their time to have a conversation with us and just walk through what are you doing? What have your projects looked like? You know, give us more details. I would say it like this. It's kind of like, you know, you go to the doctor and you know how a doctor will just talk over your head really quick and walk out of the room and you're sitting there thinking, I don't fully understand that because that's what they do every day. They're just used to it. Right. And they don't always stop and think to explain it to you. Yeah. Well, architects, engineers, it's the same sort of thing. Well, this can't be R&D. I do this every day. This isn't anything special. It's just what I do. Right. Whereas then, you know, you get people like us coming in there and saying, no, 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 wait, wait. 
you're checking a lot of boxes here and you're leaving a lot of money on the table that you should be keeping. <laughs> yeah. And that's just one thing, right? The R&D tax advantage is just one possible advantage that you can take, right? That mm-hmm. you can apply. Yep. There are many others. One of the others that you mentioned were energy incentives. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit about that and what that means? Yeah. So there are two different energy incentives. There's the 45L and the 179D. 45L applies to you know multifamily developments. So if they're involved in anything in that area, doesn't come in as often that that's going to be allocated back because typically those are more of a for-profit situation. So investors are, they're in it for that as well. So that's not usually going to be allocated back to the designer. But 179D is a deduction that is there for commercial buildings. And so this could be government, it could be Indian tribal, it could be churches, nonprofits, any of those entities that cannot actually realize those tax benefits themselves, they can choose to allocate those back to the design. And so one thing to keep in mind too, when we're talking about things like R&D, that's a tax credit. So that's a dollar for dollar against the income taxes that are owed by the business entity. A 179D is a deduction, which is a reduction in the amount that's taxable. Right. So a credit is you pay your taxes and then you have a payment back to you. Yeah. If you owe $50,000 in taxes this year and you get a $16,000 R&D credit, you're going to pay $34,000 in taxes. Right. If you have $500,000 of taxable income and you get a $100,000 deduction, now you're taxed on $400,000. Right. So your base changes with a reduction. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And so on that 179D, they're looking at things. We're back to energy, you know, obviously. So lighting, building envelope, HVAC, those three systems. And whatever you're doing that is, you know, there's a baseline reduction. They're looking at, you know, what percentage you have reduced over the ASHRAE standards. And then it can be anywhere from a, you know, 50 cent a square foot up to a $5 a square foot calculation. And so, like I said, with any of those entities that cannot realize it themselves, yeah, they can allocate that back. It's super interesting and very important for the firms that are doing that type of work because it's not obvious, right? Unless somebody comes along like Stacy and explains, so did you know (laughs) that this could happen, that you can benefit from this because they can't benefit from it because of their status, but the deduction potentially could still be there and forwarded back to you because you're the one that made it happen. Right. And then, you know, the thing to keep in mind too is just because you do, say, an R&D credit, doesn't mean you can't do the 179 deduction as well. So as an architect, you get the joy or the pain of designing the new city government building in whatever municipality it might be. And after they've, you know, run you through the ringer of, no, 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 we can't have the parking lot there because nobody wants to walk that far to the office. And well, we want the building to face this. Once you've gone through all of that and, you know, turned yourself inside out and you you have your R&D ability, well, did you do a green roof? Did you do, you know what I mean? Did you do all these other energy considerations? Yeah. And a lot of those projects have that type of work because it's being mandated by a lot of the government municipalities. Exactly. And they can't take it. So you can take both of those then. Right. And there are others. But I also encourage people to reach out to your tax advisor, reach out to Stacy and their team, reach out to somebody else that does similar things. And ask them these questions, right? Just have a conversation with them so you can be educated and know what's available to you 
So you're not spending money when you don't need to and maybe pay a lot less tax. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Architects, listen up. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world and is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. I know this community of small firm architects very well, and I see, I see many of you struggling. That's why I reached out to this episode's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote. And by filling out just a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in the show notes. It's betterhelp.com architect. Just use that link, betterhelp.com architect. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. So you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. If you need someone to talk to, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the show notes or visit betterhelp.com architect. That's betterhelp.com slash architect. Thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this podcast and for supporting our community of small firm architects. For over 30 years, RCAT has been providing AEC professionals with high quality and up-to-date building product information. Today, RCAT.com is much more than a product catalog with BIM, CAD, and specifications created in collaboration with manufacturers. Beyond that, RCAT.com also offers lead data, continuing education resources, newsletters featuring the latest projects and products, and don't forget, detailed podcasts. RCAT.com is truly the one-stop shop for everything architecture. Try it out. Go to RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. You also mentioned that there are opportunities for us to help our clients, that there might be ways that we can bring information to our clients and maybe get that contract that we didn't think we were going to get by saying, oh, look at what you can do if you work with us. We know how to handle this. Can you go through some of those opportunities that we might be able to present to our clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I would swing back to the energy efficiency credits and deductions just out of the gate because a lot of clients, they don't understand what those are and what needs to happen to meet those. And so what we'll we'll do is for architects, the designers, hey, let's look at the plans. They may be trying to promote it, right? Let's add these energy efficiencies in and they're getting pushback from the client of, I don't want to spend that extra $600,000 or whatever it might be. Well, a way to get the client to understand how it's beneficial is to be able to include in there, well, we went out and on our own had an analysis done showing here are the benefits you would have from a tax basis if we add these elements into the design. And so designers that are wanting to promote that as a line of business, this can help them sway the client to see the benefits of paying a little bit more, but then saving on the taxes on the other side. You know, another opportunity with clients is cost segregation, which really is probably the most vanilla of all the cost studies that are available. 
but it's still shocking how many people either don't know about it or don't understand it and don't incorporate it into their planning and their budgeting on the other side. So cost segregation is basically you're just accelerating the depreciation on a building and realizing the benefits of that. And once again, it's a deduction against income. It has to be done by a third party. I recently had a conversation on the podcast with Aaron Halverson. He's an architect, Studio GWA, and they specialize in working with historic preservation projects. And they identify specific buildings within historic districts that can be renovated. And there's a big tax benefit to doing that. And so they've not only become an expert in the architecture, they've become an expert on this process of getting these tax Mm -hmm. benefits and then bringing those projects to potential developers who don't even know about them. Yeah. So basically creating their own projects, bringing them to a developer and the developer says, well, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Let's go do that. And then they get hired on both sides. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, historic tax credits is another great opportunity. An area we've had a lot of interest in focusing now is grants, actually. So we have a division within Engineered Advisory that actually is hired to go out and find grants for projects. And there's even grant money out there. So to your point, from an architect's perspective, if they're looking at a property and thinking, wow, that would be my passion project. I would love to work on that property. I just need to find the right person to buy it now and see my vision. Yeah. In certain areas, there's actually grants available to pay for a large portion of the acquisition of those properties. Not to mention then the redevelopment of them, and especially whether it's visitors, redevelopment, whatever it might be. And that's free money. That's not equity. That's not a loan. It's not, you know, traditional capital stack. That is here. Money towards the project. Yeah. That comes right off the top of the pro forma, right? Here's what it's going to cost to do it. And here's the bunch of money that helps you go do it. Yep, exactly. When you can start thinking outside the box like that with these clients, it's very helpful. You know, another is if they are highly interested in something like solar, for instance, mm-hmm. there are opportunities for them to sell the tax credits if they can't actually utilize those tax credits. There are brokers out there that essentially sell those tax credits on projects. There are people who will come in and pay for part of that project on the front end to make sure that it's happening and then selling those tax credits out to investors who do have the tax liability and have an appetite for that tax equity, essentially, in the project. Yeah. It's definitely just a matter of having these conversations in a brainstorming environment on the front end before you get too mired down and we can't do something because of. Right, exactly. And so I think it's an important point. I think having those conversations, first of all, with your clients, right, understanding what they want to do, and then also being able to understand all the benefits that you can bring to those clients. So having that conversation with a tax professional to understand what's out there what's available, what applies to the typical projects that you do, and then being able to talk to your potential clients with that knowledge. Right. And so it's important to have those conversations with your clients, but also being prepared up front, which is really why it's a great idea to have that conversation, not only for your own firm, but to understand how what you do may incentivize some of the projects that you're presenting to clients or proposing to clients. Yeah, definitely. And I, You know, I think something else I'd always caution people, typically you will hear, well, I talked to my CPA. They said, there's nothing else that we can do. I go back to the doctor example. Yeah. A CPA is very much a generalist. And so you go to your CPA, they keep you compliant, you know, hopefully. 
(laughs) (laughs) I've dotted T's crossed. But when you look at the complexity of the tax code and all of the different opportunities that are out there, then throw in things like grants and other related functions out there. There's just no way that one person knows all of that inside and out. Right. And that's, you know, where a firm like ours comes in quite often. We don't do anything with compliance. We're not a CPA firm. Our whole goal is to go out there and find these niche services that smaller companies just don't have the access to because they're not the 5,000 employee firm getting serviced by KPMG. Yeah. They're the smaller firm with smaller CPA down the road that are, you know, all just doing the best they can and maybe missing out on some of these opportunities. Yeah, that's a good point. And that sort of reminds me, before we started recording, you gave me sort of the quick origin story of of engineered tax services. Mm -hmm. Can you share the origin story and explain where it originated from and how it got to where we are today? Yeah, so like I was saying, so our founder, Julio Gonzalez, he was in accounting, he was in public accounting. Big four may have been more big seven at the time. I'm not sure. I don't want to date him. but Big firms. <laughs> big corporate. <laughs> the big firms. Tax firm. Yeah, the big public accounting firms. And seeing that there are these items in the tax code that are there and they're intended for everybody and they're, they are supposed to encourage growth and prosperity for you know every taxpayer. But the big firms, and you know through no fault of their own, they're not going downstream for smaller businesses. You know, they are working with those other large publicly traded companies. And he just, you know, felt like there was something inherently unfair in that, that the small business owner who arguably may need these more than the bigger guys was missing out and not having it brought to their attention and having it offered to them. And so his thought process behind starting engineered tax services really was around cost segregation was the impetus, was to bring that to small to mid-sized CPA firms and then to the smaller business owners and smaller real estate investors, those sort of things, to help them understand the benefits to help them grow their business exponentially by taking advantage of what's out there in the code. It's, you know, there's a quote out there that says everybody should pay taxes. There's just nothing saying you need to leave a tip. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Pay all your taxes and not a penny more. Exactly. And so, you know, the thought is as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical you should have the opportunity to take advantage of it just as much as... Yeah, and that's why there is a code, right? The code is there to be able to understand how it works, just like a building code. Yeah. Here's what you can do, all right? And there's ways to do the things that you want to design as long as you're within the code. The tax code's the same thing. It's really complicated and long and arduous to understand it, but it's there for us to be able to understand what we have to pay and what we don't have to pay. Exactly. You know, I personally have never read through all of the tax code. And I don't know what it read like 100 years ago. I don't know if anyone in the world has. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's probably some really fun person Yeah, maybe some who enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you probably know some people who have. I've worked with a couple of CPAs. It's possible. Yeah. But, you know, I, I would imagine initially maybe it was, you know, somewhat simple. But you take legislative session after legislative session and you take code 10. It's now code Ten point A point three point five seven eight B C D, you know, and it just tacks on and it becomes more and more arduous to trek through it. And so, I heard a story recently, actually, of an architectural firm who it was a small architectural firm. They went to a company like ours. It wasn't us, but it was 
they're with us now, from what I understand, but they went to a company like ours, had their R&D done for a couple of years, and then decided, you know, we don't want to pay the fees anymore. We think we understand how to do this. We can just do it on our own. Yeah. Well, not realizing that, like when you're a newer firm, there are certain things you can do up until, say, year five, and then changes have to be made. So you have small business rules up to a certain point, and then you have you have different changes that hit at timeframes and at revenue points. Well, you know, four years into doing it themselves, they get audited as will happen. And the audit didn't go well because Ugh. there's reasons the IRS also says, yes, here this is available to you, but we are strongly encouraging or even requiring that a lot of these things be done by a third party and be done by somebody who has an engineering background. Yeah, And so they didn't, like the result of the audit. And now they're back to having a firm do their R&D for them. Yeah. Well, architects can relate to that because many clients come to us and say, oh, I don't need an architect. I can do this myself. Mm -hmm. And then you see what ends up happening, right? And all the money they've they've spent needlessly because they didn't work with an architect. Yeah. It's the same thing, right? Work with the professional to do their job and go do the things that you're really good at. Right. Right. And that's really the message is, you know, work with a firm like Engineered Tax Services or any others. and Go back and do your architecture and make sure that somebody else will take care of the things that in terms of the taxes, they can take care of it for you. And to that extent, I'm sure they feel this as well. A lot of times you'll get the the fee discussions. Right. And I always caution people, you're going to get what you pay for. Right. Right. So if I'm a $3,000 option on a cost segregation study, for instance, and somebody comes to you with a $400 option, why? Yeah, likely you're not going to be served the same way. Exactly. If I go out and somebody says, oh, I can design that building for you for a fifth of what someone else can, well, you have to start logically asking, yeah. why is that? What corner is being cut right. on something for me to, to get this? One thing I'm going to throw out really quick, though, before I forget, because it just comes up a lot right now. I'm going to kind of jump all the way back to R&D, although I think we've kind of ping-ponged around everything a little bit. There's a lot of misinformation out right now about R&D with people thinking that it is going away when it's the opposite. Our R&D is really there permanently going forward in and of what R&D is for the credit. The change was how expenses are realized on the balance sheet. And so the amortization of expenses is what is changing and it's not in a great way. And to be honest, if people really stop and look and walk through the numbers, it's more important now for them to take R&D than it was before. Yeah. Because the changes to how they have to realize their expenses and spread those out over an extended period of time, they really need to start digging down into some of these other options to try to level out the playing field. Yeah. And you mentioned before we started recording that they're welcome to reach out to you directly by email. Yep. Right? So if you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, Stacy's available at sderu at engineeredtaxservices.com, S-D-E-R-U at engineeredtaxservices.com. And before we finish up here, Stacy, I'd love to get your answer to this important question that I ask all my guests, because I want to leave them with an action to take. Every episode, when we're wrapped up, I love to, to say, okay, here's what you need to do. Go do it. So what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today, right now, to build a better business for tomorrow? You know, I think it's definitely this idea of thinking outside of the box. 
and what they can do to bring some of these other ideas to their clients and to their potential clients. And it's really finding what they enjoy doing and how they can promote that to their clients. So how do they support their case outside of just their passion for it? Some of these other proof points they can bring in to really, really drive that home with the client and be the go-to solution for their clients outside of just the architectural portion of it. Right. It'll make you money. It'll save money for your clients. Mm -hmm. And it helps build your brand, right? It helps differentiate you from other firms. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Stacy Daru is her name. Engineered Tax Services is the company. That's same as the website, engineeredtaxservices.com. And you can reach out to Stacy at sdaru at engineeredtaxservices.com. Stacy, thanks for holding out for me because I know no that, that it's been a long time waiting to come on the show here. A very interesting episode, lots to think about and to explore. I appreciate you for coming by and sharing your knowledge today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a link with a friend. That is the best way to help us grow. And that's how we have grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Share a rating, write a review, but most important, share a link to this episode that you just listened to. Go send it off to a friend. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to the sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in today's episode. They're all found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Entree Architect Podcast select episodes are available for continuing education credit. Go learn more at gablemedia.com slash members. And if you are a small firm architect, listen up, architects. Join us today at Entree Architect Network, the worldwide organization for small firm entrepreneur architects. That's you with monthly business training, business resources, special session webinars, mastermind groups, and a thriving community of small firm architects. Your peers are there. Hundreds of them are there already. We will provide you with the support and the encouragement that you need to succeed. Hey, and this is super exciting. This is new coming in 2024, Entree Architect Coaches. Yes, finally, after all these years, business coaching for small firm architects. It's coming to Entree Architect Network in early 2024. Join us. Try Entree Architect Network for free for 30 days. It's free for 30 days. Visit network.entrearchitect.com to learn more. That's network.entrearchitect.com to learn more. Try it. Come join us. Try it for 30 days. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and share what you know. Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. 
Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media.